Well, hey, good morning, everyone. Um, anybody that's a guest out there, my name's Dominic, and we're so glad that you're here this morning with us to worship Jesus and gather in the ways that we can in community these days. Um, you know, I've been thinking recently about just some of the things I've been learning and observing about myself, about my family uh, during this time of, of stay at home. And there's a lot of things God's teaching me personally, um, which I look forward to, to sharing more about in days coming. Um, but one of the things I, I really was blessed by and, and really took notice of recently uh, has to do with my son, Otis. Um, Otis has always loved to create with his hands. Um, I was always aware of this. Uh, he'd come home from school and he'd have these neat projects that he created. And it would always be like the thing that he most wanted to talk about was, hey, look at this, mom, look at this, dad, and um, create some really cool art and stuff like that. But in this season, I've, I've really become aware of how life-giving it is for him and how much he needs to create with his hands. Um, just as much as he needs to run around and exert physical energy, uh, he needs to exert energy, creative energy, with his hands in some sort of art project or something. Even when I'm working with tools or whatever, he's always wanting to get in there and, and work and do that as well. And so what we've done in our homeschooling season of right now um, is we've always put within his day, there's just a time that's kind of art or a creative time that just allows him to, to feel in rhythm and, and to exert that creative energy. But last week was, was interesting. Last week was unique. Um, last Tuesday was Christine's birthday. Thursday then was Mason's birthday. And Sunday, of course, was Mother's Day. And it was really, really amazing, honestly, um, to see him not just use his artistic skills to create and prepare for those days, but to see his desire and his motivation even heightened. There was something about the process that was different. And I think it's because of the fact that he had a, a different purpose in mind. Normally when he creates and he does his art time, it's about him. It's about his expression. It's about him being able to do what he wants to do. And almost every time there ends up being a fight then with his brother about markers or scissors or paper or something. But last week as he was creating with a greater purpose in mind, not his self-expression, not his doing his thing, but him creating something to bless his mom, him creating something to bless Mason, him creating something again to bless his mom. It was, there was a different purpose. There was a different focus. And honestly, it brought even with it, this collaborative effort where he would sit with Mason and go, Mason, let's make a card for mom. It's mom's birthday tomorrow. Let's do this. And so there was a new joy that he had, a new peace that he had, and therefore even a new peace and a joy in our home as Otis, through his gift of creating, was actually creating something much bigger because it was tied to a bigger purpose outside of himself. He actually last week helped to transform the environment and even the culture of our home because his goal in creating, again, it wasn't just him and his expression, but it was this much greater purpose of blessing mom, blessing his brother. And I kid you not, my heart was so blessed. The joy that I had last week as a father, just seeing his ability, his desire to create for the good and for the purpose of someone else and really bringing about this environment of joy and peace and celebration in our home. It, it was so cool. I want to start this morning uh, again by, by asking you a question. Um, are you creative? And some of you guys right now are going, wait, is this a, a repeat of last week? The question again for you, are you creative? And this week I'd add maybe a sub question to it. Do you have the potential and do you have the capacity to create? I would hope that after last week that your answer this week would be different than it was last week. 
I shared with you last week that most people actually, when you ask them the question, are you creative? Uh, they say no, unfortunately, sadly, because they don't think of themselves as creative. They don't understand really the, or recognize the creative potential and capacity that God has placed within them. And again, part of that, I think, is in our culture, we've turned creative from an adjective and into a noun, that there are creatives in our culture, some who are creative and some who are not. And I think that's, that's, that's an atrocity because we are all creative because of the fact that we've been created in the image and likeness of God. And last week, that's what we talked about as we kicked off in the first day of talking about the rhythm of create. We're talking about rest, restore, connect, create. And as we talked about create for the first time last week, my hope and desire was that you would know, you'd understand, maybe even have a paradigm shift of this awareness that you were created to create. Not necessarily art, not necessarily music or film or dance or photography, maybe those things, but not necessarily those things but instead actually talking about the specific skills, gifts, talents, callings that God wants you to live into in order to live into the deeper life and the deeper purpose that he's called and created you for, to create something that blesses him and something that blesses the world around you. You know, we looked last week at Genesis 127 that talked about God creating or filling up man in his own image or in his own representation, that in the image of God, he created male and female. You know, talking about the fact that that wasn't implying a picture or an appearance of man nor of God, but talking about the function of man in light of the function of God, that God is the great creator. And what he placed within all of us is this desire and this skill and the ability to create and ultimately to co-create with him, to fill up the world with him. We talked too about the fact that uh, this idea of humanity creating, filling up the world in partnership with God it didn't just stop in the garden, but it's central. It's carried throughout the whole story of scripture, all throughout the Old Testament, all throughout the New Testament. And ultimately, we talked last week about uh, Paul writing in, in Ephesians to the church, writing in, in Ephesians 2, verses 8 through 10, and, and Paul writing this, saying, it's by grace you've been saved through faith. And this isn't your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of your works, so that no one can boast. For we, each one of us, are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And last week, the, the heart of God that I really felt like he wanted for each of us to understand was that God loves you <laughs> and God's created you, each of us uniquely in his image. And he's filled you with a unique way in which he desires for you to co-create with him and represent him in this world. This morning, we're going to talk about create again. We're going to talk about that rhythm again. And this week, um, I hope that we would understand this coming away. Last week was really focused on you understanding the individual way, unique way that God's created you and call you to be a co-creator with him. Uh, this week, the heart would be this. I hope that we would understand that the purpose and the end goal of the rhythms of create, it's really so that others are blessed and experience greater flourishing and so that God is blessed and glorified. Not just about us, <laughs> but about others being blessed and experiencing greater flourishing. And ultimately then God is blessed and glorified. I want to look today at one of the ways that Jesus uh, spoke about the call we've been given to create uh, the call that we've been given in Paul's words to do good works, which he's prepared in advance for us to do. And today, as we look at that through the gospel of Matthew, um, I, the conversation today really is around this. It's around culture shaping about us being called to create with God in order to redeem what already is in the world, but not only culture shaping, but also culture making 
us being called to co-create with God in order to create new things in the world, again, that bless other people and allow them to experience greater flourishing and ultimately then bless God so that he's glorified. I want to invite you to read with me um, in the Gospel of Matthew. We're going to look at uh, the beginning of uh, Jesus's Sermon on the Mount. So Matthew chapter 5 and read some verses that are probably really familiar to you, uh, verses 13 to 16. And, And Jesus says this, He says, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all of the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Now, in the context of this, the three, four verses we just read, it's, it's the Sermon on the Mount. This is the beginning of Jesus's public ministry. And what I propose to you really is that this is Jesus's cultural manifesto, at least according to Matthew's gospel. Uh, as we talk about culture today, I want to I define it um, the way that uh, an author and theologian, culture maker, uh, Andy Crouch, defined it. Actually, in his book, he wrote a great book called Culture Making, Recovering Our Creative Calling. If you're looking for something to read right now in this time where you're stuck at home and you have time, I highly encourage you to pick this up. Um, a great read. I'm not going to speak to really to directly what he talks about other than his definition here, um, but the heart and the goal of it is, is, is this. But culture is this, according to, to Crouch in his book. It says, culture is what we make of the world, both in creating cultural artifacts as well as in making sense of the world around us. And what I propose to you this morning is that, again, this, this statement here, this, this Sermon on the Mount in total, which we're not going to look at today, is, is Jesus's cultural manifesto. As Jesus is beginning his public ministry, he's looking around at the world and he's making sense of it, both for himself and for his disciples. And he's calling them into an existence that allows them to live in a new way of being, in a new way of doing, that ultimately he's calling them to create new artifacts within culture, ultimately to bring about the reality of the culture of the kingdom, his kingdom, into this world that, that, that exists. And so Jesus says this, Jesus says, you're the salt of the earth. I want to just talk quickly about salt in Jesus's day and in Jesus's time. Similar uses today, but then even more specific, salt's a preservative. Uh, they used it to preserve really probably one of the most valuable things that they had, which was, which was meat. Without the salt to preserve it in the heat, without refrigeration like we have today, it would go bad and go stale, go moldy really quickly. And it was too valuable to do that. So they did preserve it with salt. Uh, salt was a flavor enhancer. It brings out the sweetness. It brings out the other flavors and things when you cook with it. Salt was used in, in Jesus's day as a cleanser. It was used as a disinfectant and therefore used even as a healing agent. Uh, salt was so valuable that it was even used in ancient Near East culture as, a, as an offering that you would offer salt because of its value to preserve, to flavor enhance, to clean, to disinfect, and to heal. It was a valuable commodity. So it was used not only as an offering, but also as a currency. People would trade in salt because it had such great value in their day and in their time. And so Jesus is saying that we, his disciples, are like salt or are to be salt. And I think what Jesus was talking about is that we were called to live in such a way as to preserve the world from being ruined or being spoiled by sin and darkness and all the things that are trying to tear down humanity. And also as living as salt, we're called to enhance and bring out the flavor of God's kingdom in the world. 
ultimately to be healing agents in this world that God has created. And for each of us, we have to first understand first that yes, we're called to create and co-create with God, but then to begin to look at and know what is it? What are the ways that God would call me to do that? And it's both on a personal level, but also on a, on a, on a communal level as the church, the church being salt, being that which preserves, that which enhances, that which brings about things that heal and creating a culture of healing and of life, of freedom, of restoration. The other analogy that Jesus used, he said, is light. He says, you're the light of the world. You're a city set on a hill that can't be hidden. People don't light in a lamp and then put it under a basket nor a stand, but give light within the whole house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that people may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Now, light in Jesus' day obviously was, was different than our own, and so we need to not think about electricity and light, but the example he uses here, a light or a lamp, basically talking about fire. I think Jesus potentially too, although it gives us clearly he's talking about fire here, I think potentially he's talking about the, the light of the sun. And if you think about in Jesus's day and time, his understanding of light, that would be it. It'd be fire, it'd be sun. And if you think about those two things, what, what light does, those light sources, the sun nourishes as, a, as, a, as light. It causes growth in things. Both the sunlight and the fire can heal uh, they allow clear visibility, allow people to see and therefore be safe. And both of those are transforming agents. The light of the sun, the light of fire, it transforms anything and all things that it comes in contact with. Ultimately, the light that Jesus speaks of, it, it's necessary for life. It's necessary for true flourishing. It's necessary for common good. You know, if we think about light then, light now, the presence and the evidence of light and darkness in the world, it's unmistakable. And so Jesus, again, is calling us to be those who following him and knowing him who is the light of the world are those that operate in this world in such a way that we bring nourishment <laughs> or we know how to lead people to the source of true nourishment, that we are able to help cause growth in others, that we step into scenarios and situations that we bring healing, that through our presence, there's greater visibility of the reality of what's going on in the world, that, that the world can be made sense of as we step in and bring the message and the love of Christ, helping the world to see that if we want to experience true life, we have and we carry what is necessary, the light and the love of Christ. I believe ultimately in looking at this and, and Jesus calling us to be salt and light, Jesus is calling us to live in such a way that we redeem and we create culture. So again, this takes creating, although again, we need to understand our personal call in creating, it helps us to understand that the ultimate goal of the rhythm of create, it's not about us. That's not our personal unique expression, although that's important. It is ultimately about helping others be blessed, others experience greater flourishing. And ultimately, as Jesus says here, doing your good works so that others may see them and ultimately what? Give glory to your Father in heaven. The goal of the rhythms of create is ultimately blessing God and Him being glorified. You know, over the years, uh, the conversation around culture, and I remember it from growing up in the 80s and 90s, the conversation around culture uh, was, uh, was often about like being countercultural or like protect yourselves from the culture. Uh, this, you know, talking about are we in the culture or of the culture? Are we in the culture, but not of the culture? And I think ultimately Jesus here calling us to be salt and light says, yes, you need to be in a sense, all of those things. But ultimately, as you're in the culture, live in a way that contributes to the common good as co-creators with God and as advocates. See, I think transformed culture is at the very heart of Christ's mission in the world. And ultimately, therefore, it's at, the, it's at the heart of the call that God has given us as his people. I'll say it again, just the purpose, the end goal 
of us looking at and talking about these rhythms of rest, restore, connect, create. It's so that others end up being blessed. Others experience greater flourishing and God ultimately is blessed and glorified. You know, in, in creation, God filled up the world with everything uh, that humanity needed to flourish. We talked a little about this last week, just the environment, the, the amazing nature of the environment that God created it has everything that we need to flourish. And then yet the deceiver came in and the deceiver introduced lies and he introduced sin and brokenness. And really ever since then, God's people, the call placed on our lives is to work with him to both preserve and restore his kingdom in this world and also bring his light to bear on the realities of his kingdom in this earth. So I want to talk for a moment just about how, how do we do this? What, what does this look like? What could it look like both for us in this day and in this time? First, I want to recognize the fact that the, the call to be salt and light that Jesus gives here in verses 13 and 16, it comes right after uh, the very introduction of Jesus's Sermon on the Mount when Jesus speaks of the Beatitudes. So I want to read Matthew 5, 1 to 12 with you before we talk about how. how does, what does this look like for us to be salt and light? Matthew chapter 5, verse 1, it says this. It says, seeing the crowds, Jesus went up on the mountain, and then when he sat down, his disciples came to be with him. And he opened his mouth, and he taught them, saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you, and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You know, as I read um, the Beatitudes, um, I'm reminded just of how much so the kingdom is countercultural to our, to our, our world, the main culture, majority culture of our, of our world. And that in this way, Jesus, again, was calling us to be, yes, countercultural in our being and in our living, but really to help create and shape new culture. When I look at the Beatitudes, I'm reminded that I, in order for me to embody the blessed state of being that comes with the life of the kingdom, I'm reminded that I need Jesus to transform me first and foremost, if I'm going to be able to embody and experience the life of the kingdom that he speaks here. And I'm also going to need Jesus to transform me, not just once, but continually and over and over and over again, if I'm going to be able to share the realities of his kingdom with the world. I, I can't do it on my own. And in some ways, it reminds me that if I'm going to create culture, I need to be in a position and a posture where, again, I'm resting first. I'm restored. I'm connecting healthily with him, with other people, and then moving to this place of, of co-creating in a holistic way. But as I read the Beatitudes, I'm also looking at this, thinking about the fact that Jesus is calling us to live in culture with a greater awareness than I probably live in day in and day out. Calling me to think about what is broken in the world, what is not right in the world, 
what, what is amiss in the world because of the impact of sin? How has culture taken and, and twisted and perverted uh, the, things, the things of God, the way God intended them to be? It really, here's a question I want to pose to you would be this today. The first question is, how restless are you with the way things currently are in our world? How restless are you with the way things currently are in our world? And I don't mean just the pandemic, and I'm not talking about just for you or for your family. But as one who's called to create culture, we first have to begin to be able to to look at it through this humble and this meek lens, this greater, more pure lens that, that Christ calls us to, and to look at the world and its culture and all the things going on in it today and ask, what's wrong? And then ask ourselves, how restless are we that this is the way things are? You know, in this season of, of, of this pandemic, just looking at the fact that uh, the disparity and how the virus is impacting communities of color, the black community, the Hispanic community, the native community versus the white majority culture. Like, do we see this? Are we aware of this? And are we okay with this or does this bother us? And, and do we understand and are we able to make sense of that? Because that's what looking at culture calls us to, to look at and to make sense of it. And how are we making sense of it? Are we looking at making sense of it in a redemptive way? Or are we making sense of it in a way that places blame on, on them? How open are our eyes to see the oppressive systems, the racial injustice that exists in our world that have been highlighted during these times and during this season? How open and how aware are we of the impact of the extreme individualism, the consumerism, the greed that ran rampant in, our, in normal? You know, throughout this season, a lot of people have talked about, when are we going to get back to normal? Church, I'm really, I'm really hoping we never get back to normal. Our normal prior to this season was filled with so much extreme individualism, so much consumerism, so much greed, so much injustice. And I really hope, y'all, that we don't go back to that as normal. I love one, something that Andy Crouch said, actually, in an article that he wrote uh, recently. He said, and there's this other sobering reality. This will not be the last pandemic, nor the last disaster. In any case, even while some of us in the developed world were insulated for a time from the worst kinds of vulnerabilities, billions of human beings have been living with that level of vulnerability all along, while much of the world paid minimal attention to their plight. We human beings are far more dependent on God and one another than we acknowledge in times of affluence and ease. We should not want to simply return to the normalcy of the past years in which so much injustice was unaddressed and in which countless shared systemic vulnerabilities grew and grew. So church, I'll ask you again, how restless are you with the way things currently are in the world? And yes, we're speaking in the context of pandemic, but not just because of the pandemic. And again, not just for you, not just for I. If you and I are going to live as salt and as light, if you and I are going to live as those embodying the blessed state of the kingdom and being able to share that with others as disciples of Jesus, we have to be willing to ask ourselves this question and look at the world, the culture around us with a more beatitude lens than we probably normally do. The second question I want to invite you to consider today with me is not just how restless are you, but how willing are you to take a risk to create a better present and future reality in the world? How willing are you to take a risk to change or to do something about the things that you say, no, that's not right in this world? And I propose to you that risk is dependent upon trust. What you ultimately trust in 
is what ultimately is going to allow you to take risk or not. We're seeing that in the stock market. We're seeing that in corporations and jobs. We're seeing that, again, in a lot of different ways highlighted. The things that, that I trust in will allow me then to take a risk or not in this life. And I think Jesus, again, in these Beatitudes is calling us to this greater posture of trusting in him ultimately as king and trusting in the reality of his kingdom over and above all other kingdoms when he calls us to be poor in spirit, when he calls us to be meek, when he calls us to hunger and to thirst for righteousness, when he calls us to be merciful, to steward power in a way different than the world, when he calls us to be pure in heart, when he calls us to be those who are seeking peace, he's calling us to be willing to step out and to risk modifying redeeming and creating new culture. And ultimately he, he calls the risk. He puts it right in our face. And then in verse 10, he says, blessed are those who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you, who persecute you when they utter all kinds of things about you on my account, rejoice and be glad for the reward, the reward of your risk for living as a citizen of my kingdom is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. As I've been thinking about some of the things that God is calling me to, that my wife and I are considering in this season, I've been just reminded about the fact that creative restoration, it requires both risk and sacrifice. And when I look at Jesus and his life and his death, that's what I see ultimately modeled for us, is that Christ came into this world to redeem it and to create a whole new culture, to make new culture exist in this world. And that required risk on his, fat, his part, and it required sacrifice on his part. Are we willing to be counted as a disciple, as a follower of Christ? Are we willing to let our light shine and not let anybody put it under a bushel, not let anybody blow it out, but to walk in the humility and in the grace of Christ, to allow it to transform us to such a place where we're no longer concerned ultimately about our well-being and our needs, but being able to look at the broader world to call out the injustice of it and be willing to take a risk to create a better present and future, not just for ourselves, but for others to contribute to, to the common good. I'm reminded as even in the last couple of weeks, as we've talked about grief in different ways, that Christian creativity really begins with grief. It's the grief of looking at a world that has gone wrong and saying, no, that, that's not okay. In response then, creating in a different way, creating in a way that helps to bring healing. Christian hope too is born out of despair in this world. Andy Krauss said this, he said, Christian creativity begins with grief, the grief of a world gone wrong and unfolds it in lament, the loud cry of Good Friday, the silence of Holy Saturday, and still comes to the tomb every Sunday morning. We are burying and saying goodbye to so much in these days and around the world, people are burying and saying goodbye to those they love. But we do not grieve without hope. If we grieve with Jesus and we make room for others to grieve, we can hope to be visited by the comforter, the spirit who breathed over creation before it was even formed. And that spirit will guide us in the choices we have to make, even on the hardest days that are ahead. Again, this call to be shaping and creating, filled by the spirit, aligned with Jesus. I think too of C.S. Lewis, he, he wrote, and talking, he said, hardships often prepare ordinary people for an extraordinary destiny. Hardships often prepare ordinary people for an extraordinary destiny. 
that some of the most creative ideas, some of the most beautiful expressions of God's kingdom and his values, some of the, the most powerful culture making has been born out of the hearts and the minds of people who have gone through great suffering and extraordinary circumstances. And it births them into living into the extraordinary destiny that God has called them to. The creative output comes as they stay connected to Christ, even in the midst of suffering, but ultimately not with their perspective on their own healing, their own making it through. But how do I contribute to the common good, the flourishing of the world in this thing and through this thing and on the other side of it? How do I redeem culture? How do I make culture? Thinking innovatively in light of God's redemptive purposes in the world. I'd say too also that as I read the Beatitudes, Christ doesn't speak here of anything majorly grandiose or anything and anything huge or large. I think too of, of, of Christ calling us even to this posture of having faith that's as little as a, as a mustard seed. That in this idea of us being those who are created to create for the flourishing of others and for the glory of God, there's no pressure here to create or do anything grandiose, I, I don't think. I don't think that's the heart of God to put the pressure on us in that way. So if you're feeling that, I don't, I don't think that's, that's God's heart. In fact, Rebecca Lyons in her book that we've been reading through, in Bob Goff's book, uh, Love Does, also, yes, in Andy Crouch's book, Culture Making, each one of them says that in order for us to create in a way that brings flourishing for others and blesses God, it's not about the grandiose. It's not about the large or the huge or the thing that everybody sees. It's actually about being aware of what are the little things that God is calling me to say yes to and how am I being faithful and obedient in the little things, first and foremost being the call to love my neighbor. And as we continue to say yes to the little things over and over and over again, there's a profound way in which God uses that and therefore uses our lives in unique ways to redeem culture and to create culture. You know, some of you may, as you hear this, you may have these grandiose ideas. Yes, please go for it. Let me help you. Let's, let's talk about it. I want to champion you. I want to champion our community in creating culture, making culture, redeeming culture through the things that God is birthing in our hearts in this season. And I know there's a lot, actually. But if it's not grandiose, if it's small, it's no less important. It's no less impactful because it's the small step of yes and obedience that God has called us to. And so church this morning, I want to remind you of two things as, as, I, as I wrap this up in closing. Some of you might be saying, well, I, I thought these rhythms connect, uh, re, cre, excuse me, rest, restore, connect, create. I, I thought those ultimately were about my, my own well-being, about me coming to a greater sense of peace and, and less anxiety, having greater purpose. Yes, but here's the thing I believe we'll see, is that as we live out these rhythms ultimately for the sake of others flourishing and for the glory of God, we will benefit from that as well too but the two go hand in hand. That's, that's the call ultimately of the Beatitudes is, is as you live for, for the greater purposes of God within the world, you yourself will be the beneficiary of it. And it's actually almost the reality that as you seek it for the sake of the world, as you seek it for those others, you'll, you'll find it. But if you seek it only for yourself, you actually will very much potentially miss out on it. Christ calls us to a higher purpose, to the seeking of and looking for the benefit, the flourishing, the common good. And that church is what I believe we're called to ultimately as we talk about this rhythm of creating and ultimately as we talk about what is the, the impact of resting, of being restored, of connecting and creating. It's that others experience flourishing, 
that others see these good works, these works of creation. And then they see and they look and they, they are, have their eyes open to see the reality of who God is. They, they come to know him through that. And ultimately then God, our father in heaven is glorified. And so church this morning, as we wrap up, I have one last question for you. And I invite you to to use the chat box, maybe use it as an act of faith just to speak out. And if you don't want to write in the chat box, but here's the question. What is something that you would like to see changed in our world and in our culture? What's something that you'd like to see changed in our world and in our culture? And as a staff team, we're going to take these from this chat. We're going to pray over them. And I would love to hear even your responses personally to this. If you want to send an email, send me a text, invite me to take a walk, social distance with you, something. I would love to talk about what are the things that God is opening your eyes to in this season where he's calling you then to partner with him, to create, to co-create, to bring about greater redemption, flourishing, healing, justice, freedom, greater love, greater joy, greater peace in this world as you walk with him as a follower of, of him and his ways. Missio, I love you. I, I long to, to see you face to face. I'm grateful we have the ability to do this, but I, I so long to be with you. Um, and I do. I long to see the way God uses us uh, as his people to be salt in this world, to be light in this world, in order that others will come to know him more fully. So I love you. Let's worship together.